to you. And I appreciate it. I want to extend a, a, a thank you for uh, my wife and I. She's still in Boston with her family. Thank you for the prayers. Uh, her father is still hanging on. So please continue to pray uh, for, for all of us. Uh, she may very well be watching online right now because they got 15 inches of snow coming in today, uh, close to blizzard-like conditions. So uh, hi, Laura, if you're watching online. But that's an incredible thing we get to do that. Uh, but uh, if you're a guest here, I want to welcome you. It's, it's awesome that you're here. We're right in the middle of a series called Wild Goose Chase. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what the Celtic or Celtic Christians uh, back in the 5th century would call the Holy Spirit. They called him the wild goose because he was so unpredictable, the, mis- the mystery behind the, the Holy Spirit. And so they would call him the wild goose. And so we have been on a quest to go after the wild goose. So right now we're going to go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. So if you can, there are a lot of needs out there. Pray with me if you would. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to meet here in your name. And we ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit will be here in this room and that you will guide us, you'll carry us along, that you'll open our hearts. I know what we're going to talk about today is relevant to every single one of us. And uh, I do want to pray for my wife and her family, her father, pray for uh, Debbie Dominguez's uh, mother, uh, God, and her health and all the health needs in our church. We want to pray for our world leaders, that you'll please help them. Uh, There's a lot going on in our world right now, and we pray, Father, for uh, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East uh, that are facing tyranny and persecution all the time. Please protect them and be with them, the ones in Africa, uh, God, that are facing the same situations. Please be with our world leaders that they will have the wisdom to act and to protect the innocent. Father, we love you. Uh, Be with us. Fill me with your spirit so I can speak on your behalf. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today, well, last week we talked about the cage of, anybody remember? Guilt. If you didn't get a chance to to watch it or see it or be here or get, I highly recommend it. Uh, It was a game changer for for a lot of us because guilt is something that keeps us caged up. And we've been talking about cages, and we got one here today. Uh, we've been talking about cages each week, and uh, we had two teens that were in the cage last week, and we've got somebody in there who I'm going to introduce uh, today. So today we're going to talk about a very, very, very significant cage, and that is the cage of failure. And so I've got a person, poor soul that's inside the cage of failure, Okay. And that is Kevin Vu, poor guy. Okay? Now, before we start looking too hard at Kevin Vu and that he's in the cage of failure, guess what? All of us can identify in one way, shape, or another with failure, can't we? And if you haven't yet, especially you teens, you will soon. Okay? Because we all experience failure. Now, here's the question. What do you do with failure? How do you embrace failure when it comes to your life? Uh, appreciate Aaron and, and, and what he shared. You know, all of us, all of us are going to face failure. We're going to face, you know, economic failure. We're going to face uh, career changes, you know, uh, moral failure in our own lives. In fact, the reason, in case you're wondering if you're a guest, most of us are here because we recognize we can't do this without God's help. We recognize the failures in our lives and we reach up and we reach out. 
But even still, even though you may be a follower of Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, the question is, how do you approach failure? How do you deal with it? And how do you go forward when we talk about failure? And so today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And uh, he faced it a lot. If you read his travelogue, which is called the Book of Acts, you can see that he was oftentimes tempted to be enclosed in in the cage of failure. Uh, And it was all around him. Failure swirled around his life. And let me just set you up before we start reading. This story sets up that Paul is on a journey as a prisoner of Rome. He's he's a criminal in in the eyes of the Roman Empire. And so he's basically traveling in chains. Uh, He's got a Roman guard uh, next to him, with him all the time. Uh, And he's on a boat with other criminals that are being transported from one part of the world across the Mediterranean Sea to Rome. And what happens, they decide to travel during a part of the year that it's really rough, uh, the winter, and they had these storms called nor'easters. And so it basically came about that he was in the perfect storm, and they spent two weeks in the open sea in the Mediterranean being battered by the wind And basically, they couldn't see the stars to find out where they were going, so they were going all over the place until they struck a sandbar. They didn't know where they were because they couldn't figure it out. They struck a sandbar, and they realized they must be close to land. The ship basically breaks apart. Everyone is saved because Paul, about a week earlier, prophesied that no one's going to lose their life. We're going to lose the ship and all of its cargo, but everybody's going to be saved, and that's exactly what happened. So this is where we're going to pick up the story. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to Acts 28, verse 1. Turn it on, flip it over, and I'm going to ask the guys if they could bring this, size this back down. Once safely on shore, okay, keep coming, keep coming. We found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And so Paul arrives at this island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. If you look at a map, you'll see it's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they're cold, they're hungry, and they're tired. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. Okay, so if I'm making up the rules, I would say a shipwreck qualifies as a bad day. Would you agree? All right, if, you, if you're involved in a shipwreck, that's a bad day. Now, if you are involved in a shipwreck and you get bitten by a poisonous snake all on the same day, that is a really bad day, wouldn't you say? That qualifies as a really bad day, a horrible day, a horrific day, terrible, counted to the history books. How many times in your life are you going to have a shipwreck and get bitten by a venomous snake that can kill you. And this is, a, this is a hard situation. This could be seen as a fail. And the Apostle Paul, and you know, notice how people treat him, right? 
How do people treat you when they see you facing failure or disaster? They're not very kind, are they? Yeah, see, you, got, you escaped the shipwreck, but the snake got you, and you're going to die. And so this is a question for all of us is, you know, when, when we face these kinds of disasters, how do you react when you're having your bad day? Maybe your marriage and you guys are bumping up against each other. That's a nice way of saying you're fighting. How do you respond to that bad day or that bad circumstance? How do you deal with it? And this is huge because if we're not careful, when we have bad days, we can get caught and stuck in the cage of failure. And the cage of failure means I'm done. I've messed up too much. I'm no longer in God's good graces. It's over. And when you're in the cage of failure, you can think nobody else understands what I'm going through. I'm the only one. And I got good news for you. You are not the only one who is failing or who has failed. Okay? And that's the great news that you can have today. And I don't know what your situation is, but at least you didn't get shipwrecked and snake bit in the same day. Let's continue on with the story. And this is huge. Where you are... Where are you being the victim where you need to be the hero? This is a huge question. See, because when you face failure and hardship, you have a choice. Am I going to be the victim? Woe is me. And Paul could have done this. He could have said, you know, why couldn't I have died in Jerusalem? Why do I have to die here on this God-forsaken island of Malta, middle of nowhere with these islanders? Why here, God? But when God puts us in situations and when you have a relationship with God, you understand maybe he's up to something else and maybe he can use me as the hero as this, of this story. See, and it's a choice you make when you face failure. You're going to be the victim or are you going to be the failure? So we read on, verse 5 and 6. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. All right, don't you just love these people? But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Isn't that amazing how you go from cursed to maybe you're a god? See, and it's a choice. It's a choice. If you follow God's plan, you may think you're a failure now, but you could very well turn out to be an inspiration for people later. How you face failure, either you'll get stuck or you could become somebody who people assume, man, there's something special about you. There's something different about you. We read on. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, he placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and we went 
and, and we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. This is a bona fide island revival. Now, what business did Paul, a criminal, have going to Publius's house, the chief official of the island? What business did he have going there? He's a Roman criminal. Why is he in his house? How did he get in his house? It took a shipwreck and a snake bite to get Paul in Publius's house and to cause this island revival. And understand this. Malta was not on Paul's itinerary. There was no, there was no you know, we're going to have a stop in Malta before we go to, you know, Rome. It wasn't on the itinerary. And what's that telling you? Sometimes things are going to change. But when those things change, God could be up to something very, very powerful. And it may look like failure. See, a shipwreck can qualify as something really disastrous. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm sure there's people in this room that are going through some really, really tough times. How are you handling it? And do you see that God may be up to something different? And, and maybe this was a divine appointment that God steered the ship. He used the storm. He used the shipwreck to get them on that island and to show the people on that island who God is. Because, see, they didn't know who God is. They didn't know about Jesus. They had no idea. They were completely separated. And God used the disaster in Paul's life. And here's the deal. When you chase the wild goose, God may use a shipwreck and a snake bite to change an island or to change your life or to change your family or to change your marriage or to change your workplace. We don't know how he's going to work. But I can tell you, God uses incredible failure sometimes to change people. Now, if you look at your back of your Bible, some of you, do you have your Bibles? If you have your Bible, probably none of you have Bibles anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the few that still have a Bible. I use them often. This is a study Bible. In the back, there's these things called maps. Okay? Not GPSs, they're maps. And in most of these study Bibles, there's a map of Paul's first and second and third and fourth missionary journey. Now, I want you to look at this map here. Tell me, how many straight lines do you see? Just one. And that may not even be a straight line, but look at all these other lines. The, 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 the red one uh, was his second journey. The green one was his first journey. Look at all the curves and waves in this missionary journey. And if you read Paul's travel log, many of his destinations were not on the itinerary. They weren't planned visits. Look at the, look at the third and fourth, okay? And, and even this line here, we don't even know what this looks like. This is the shipwreck, okay? And there's some maps that show it swirling around like that for two weeks. But look at these. And if you read Paul's travel log, the book of Acts, what you're going to find is many of his stops weren't on the plan. Give an example. One of the stops that, that Paul made, a very famous stop, was the city of Athens. Do you know why Paul went to Athens? 
Paul went to Athens not on a plan. It was one of his greatest sermons that he ever gave to a group of non-believing, non-Jewish people. Powerful sermon. But do you know why he was there? It wasn't a planned stop. He was there because an angry mob in Macedonia came after him. Or in Thessalonica, same, same region. An angry mob came after him and he had to run away. And so that's what led him to Athens. That's how that whole mission trip happened. Uh, another one, you know, when, when Paul went to, to, to Troas, he went to Troas because he got run off in Bithany. And so there were so many times, and there was one mission trip where he tried to go into Asia, in here, and the Holy Spirit would not allow him in. Read about it. It's the coolest thing. He's trying to go in. He tried to go in from this way. He tried to go in from this way. And the Holy Spirit said, no. And then one night he had a vision. He had a dream. And it was a Macedonian who called out to him in the dream and said, come to us. We need your help. And so Paul made a beeline and a whole mission started up here in Thessalonica. I mean, it's amazing. And, and so much of this, 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 this whole trip was shrouded by failure, persecution. I mean, it seemed like everything was getting shut down time after time. So I want to ask you a question today. How do you efface a failure and, 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 and opposition and challenge in your life? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, there is some great, great news See, because you can approach failure differently than everybody else out there in the world. See, because when God brings failure, it's a divine detour ahead. I did mission work for 10 years in South America, Central America, and I can tell you we had lots of plans. And those plans changed many, many times. In fact, in our first three years, we moved 13 times to four different countries. In the first three years, it was crazy. I mean, we would start a church and we would say, we're going to be here for five years. We'd tell the new members that came into the church, we're going to be here for five years. Six months later, oh no, we got to go. There's a church that needs to start somewhere else. And then when we went to that church in Bogota, Colombia, we said, we're going to be here for five years planting, establishing this church. Seven months later, you got to go to Mexico City. I had no plan to go to Mexico City. In fact, it was, it was even more dangerous in some ways than Bogota, Colombia. But see, God was moving us around. And how do you deal with a change of plans? And how do you approach the divine detours? And divine detours sometimes, how we handle it, and I just got to tell you, one of the stops when we planted the church in Rio de Janeiro was an utter failure, the inaugural service. It goes down in the books as one of the worst sermons, services that I've ever done and been a part of. It was awful. I mean, it was a swing and a miss and an ejection all in one. I mean, I felt off. I felt so bad because people traveled from Sao Paulo to be a part of that. There was such a buildup for this service. And I mean, I just felt like I choked it so bad. You know, and people were speechless. You know how some people, they come up to you after your lesson and they go, 
bro, that was awesome. And they're nice. It wasn't awesome, but they say, that was awesome. Thank you. On this occasion, people didn't say anything. Not even the nice people. It was obvious. They were speechless. And I knew it. I mean, just had his pit. Mm. Failure. Choked it. But it was that failure that dropped me to my knees and dropped the mission team to our knees and said, God, we need your help. And after that, that week and a half of prayer and fasting, things exploded. God started working in ways we couldn't understand. We, couldn't, we had incredible services after that. But it all started with a galactic failure. See, sometimes it's the closed doors that God, the closed doors that detour you into God's next plan for your life. You think, man, he's not with me, he's not blessing me, he's cursing me, and this isn't working for me, and I'm the victim, and this is a failure, and, and he's not. That's, not. that's not what's happening. Do you? And when you face like a health challenge or a pink slip or a failed relationship, you can feel cursed. When in, in reality, it very well could be the opportunity of change in your life. And, and not, I'm not trying to say, let's sabotage our lives, okay? Don't, don't do that. Don't fail on purpose. Don't do something stupid and say, oh, well, God's going to use it anyway. Don't do that. No, I'm talking about when you're trying your best to do the right thing and bad things happen. God could be very well closing a door. Look at what this verse says in Revelation 3. I love this verse. We've seen it before. Revelation 3, 7, it says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want to go against God and try to get through that door when he closes it? I mean, you don't want to do that. And that, that's something we need to understand. Look, look at this verse and this is something we got to understand, too, with, with how God is in the world. Matthew 5, verse 44 and 45. But I tell you, love your enemies. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, we like this because it's good stuff. Rain and... And what else? He sends rain and he sends the sun to rise. Now, there's a flip side of this. He makes bad things happen for good people and bad people. He doesn't show favoritism. We don't like it when God sends us bad times, do we? You got to ask yourself the question, how do you respond when God, because he's not going to treat you any different. And he, we want God to treat us with blessings only. But sometimes you're not going to get the message when you get a blessing. Because you got a hard head, like me. You need something to shake you up. You need something to get your attention. And nothing gets our attention like a failure, does it? And it stings. And people are around you, and they see it happening. And you feel bad about it. But see, God doesn't show favoritism. And then look at this verse. 
This is, this is the difference between somebody who has God's blessing and someone who does not, who doesn't believe in God, doesn't follow Jesus. And we know that in all things, say all things with me, all things. We know that in all things, God works for the good. Say good with me. Good, not bad. God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those gods foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This last part here is huge. God's got a plan for your life. What's his plan? He wants you to become more like Jesus. Now, how are you going with that plan? Are you working with him? Are you fighting him? Or are you going with it? Even, even if the plan includes some failure, some challenges. See, and there's things that hurt us deeply, like family challenges, health challenges. Those things, man, they, 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 they cloud your vision. You can't see anything. And this is like our dear friend Kevin. He cannot see beyond his cage of failure. It's locked him in. He can't get out. So I think we need to let him out. Don't you? Based on this verse, let's let him, let's let him out. Kevin, you can come on out. Come out of the cage. Thank you. See, God used this failure in Kevin's life for good. And once you accept that, you can move forward. And so, you know, to, to, to think about this verse, do you really believe it? And this is, some, this is what we are. We, we're down here. We want to go from point A to point B, right? You want to get to point B. But God, he's doing this with our destination, right? And why all these curves? Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you sending my relationship through so many of these challenges? Did I marry the wrong person? These must not be my children. It's somebody else's children. They snuck in here and they put them in our bed. The job that you have, the career changes that you've had, the, ch- the ups and downs that you've had, you know. You can fill in this blank really, really good. And some of you have got some really, really challenging situations. And we get so focused between I want to go from point A to point B, but here's the thing. God is more interested in who we are and not where we're going. We get so focused on where we're going. Well, I want to be married, and I want to have this job, and I want to have this, and I want to get to here, and we got no focus on who we are. God is focused on who you are. He wants to create you into somebody special, somebody that's going to do it, make a difference in other people's lives, somebody who's going to leave a legacy for others. And we're so focused on getting to place B. And once you get there, you're going to go, well, it's nice. But I'm still the same person that I was in place A. And the stuff that's going on in between here is still dogging me. Let me talk about some of our marriages. You want to get to a good marriage but you don't want to face who you are that's creating this in your marriage. What's creating this? 
at your lack of God in your life. And you need to stop pointing the finger at your spouse and you need to start taking responsibility for your lack of a relationship with God. Your character, you're hard to deal with. Let me just say it. I don't know there's many people that could live with you like your wife or your husband. I mean, let's just be blunt. You want to have a good marriage. Well, then start focusing on who you are. If you want to have a good marriage, be the husband or the wife that someone would long to be with. Instead of desiring, well, I want point B. I want her. I want him. You know, him or her wouldn't want to be with you. And the same with our kids. We want our kids to succeed, but you don't understand. Your kids, if they're going to become the people that they need to be, they need to go through this. And we hate it when our kids fail, don't we? Man, I don't want my kids to fail. I want them to go from success to success, but they're never going to become people of character unless they go on the wild ride. And the wild goose, the Holy Spirit, is many times going to take us where we need to go, not where we want to go, to get us to the place where God wants to take us. Here's a great verse, Proverbs 16, 9, New Living Translation. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You got your plan, right? You got your schedule for this week? Guess who's going to change your plans, possibly? Hate that. What does that say about you when you've got your plans and they change? You are a what? Control freak. We are control. 2015, guess what we are? We are control freaks. And they're with all the stuff that we've got going on, we've got it all mapped out. We've got phones, cars, plans, bill pay. Everything is under our control. And if it's not, we're going to go crazy. Now, we don't like control freak. We come up with nice names for it. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a type A personality. No. You want to be in control. We all want to be in control. I want to be in control. Guess what? Guess what the fact of the matter is? You're not in control. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do when we're not in control is do what? Hang in there. Man, can you just vision Paul? He's shipwrecked. And what's he doing out there on that ocean? He's hanging on to that driftwood. He doesn't know where it's going to go. Doesn't know how it's going to end, but he's hanging on. That's the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes when you're going through a hard time is just hang on. This will end. Hang on and let God work on you. 1809. Let me read you guys a story. What happened in 1809? A man was born into poverty in a 16 by 18 log cabin. 1816, his family was evicted from that home, and he had to work to support his family. In 1818, his mother died. In 1831, he failed in business. In 1832, he ran for state legislature and lost. In 1832, same year, he lost his job and wanted to go to law school but could not get accepted into law school. 
1833, he borrowed money to start a business and within the same year was bankrupt with all the money that he borrowed. He spent the next 17 years paying off that debt. 1835, he was engaged to be, with the mar- be married with his sweetheart and she died. His heart was devastated. In 1836, he had a total nervous breakdown and spent the next six months bedridden. In 1843, he ran for Congress and lost. In 1849, he sought a job to be the land officer of his home state and was rejected. In 1854, he ran for Senate and lost. In 1856, he sought the vice presidency, the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention and got less than 100 votes, which is almost nothing. 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate and again lost. In 1860, Abraham became one of the most memorable, awesome presidents of our United States of America. But look at his curriculum. Look at his resume. What is it? I can't think of more failure than this. Not only that, when he became president, He had continued as a president. His son died while he was president. He lost 40 pounds, couldn't sleep. He was sick all the time as our president. He rarely smiled, rarely laughed. And you got to ask the question, through all of this, what kept him going? What kept him going? How do you get up in the morning when your life is such a failure, when your nation is ripping itself apart? Hundreds of thousands of young men are dying daily. How do you deal with that? And there's a a snippet, and if the more you read about him, Abraham Lincoln is the guy I admire most, but the one I least want to become like. But here's something that I admire about him. Here's a, just a, a snippet of how he, how he kept going. He had a farewell speech when he left for Washington, D.C. He was leaving the state of Illinois, his home state, and he was on the back of a train in the caboose, and he gave a farewell speech. And listen to what he said to his constituents in, in Springfield. Now I leave, not knowing when or whether ever I may return, with a task before me greater than that which rested upon George Washington. Without the assistance of that divine being who attended him, I cannot succeed. But with that assistance, I cannot fail. Trusting in him who can go with me and remain with you and be everywhere for good, let's confidently hope that we will all yet be well To his care, commending you, as I hope in your prayers, you will commend me. I bid you an affectionate farewell. What is this oozing of destiny? See, he believed that God had put him in that moment for a very, very important task. That destiny kept him going. What's your destiny? 
What, what's your conviction when it comes to facing hardship? Do you still believe God? And here's a fact. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. You can come to that conviction now, or you can wait, but it's coming. See, when people are close to death, they realize, I'm not in control. God has always been in control, and I don't know when I'm going to live or die. You know, your life can take a turn on a dime tomorrow. And I'm not trying to strike you with fear. I'm just trying to say, things are going to happen to you. And if you get this, you'll manage your challenges much, much better. And you will glorify God in the process. And people around you will say, wow, you're somebody special. And you say, no, it's not about me. God is sovereign. And I'm just letting him work the situation. And he's working it, and he's going to use it. Win factors. Paul, what hit got him into the island? You realize they couldn't use the sails anymore? The rudders didn't work? The wind factor is basically things that are outside of your control. You can't control them. What are the wind factors in your life right now? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. What are the things that are outside of your control right now in your life? And are you allowing these wind factors to take you? In? And we love when the wind's to our back, don't we? Don't we love it when the wind's to our back? Because you just feel, man, God is... What about when there's a headwind strong in your face against you? How do you deal with that? And you try to resist it. It's like what your mom told you, don't spit in the wind. Why? <laughs> don't do that. Why are you resisting God? Why are you fighting God? Do you realize how ridiculous that is? Let those wind factors in your life move you, shape you, change you so that you can become the person who God wants you to be. That's what he's trying to say to us. Now, I know some of us like the history of, you know, politics in our nation, but some of you like sports. Let me let you in on a little secret about failure. Some of the most successful people in our history in sports and life, they understand failure. Let's turn the volume up and watch this very short video. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Here's a little secret. People who are successful understand the role of failure. Did you hear what he said? 9,000 shots he missed. Those are statistical information in the NBA. He was entrusted with a game-winning shot 26 times, and he missed. He lost 300 games. Nobody likes to talk about those stats, do they? Even the Super Bowl last week, right? Remember? Six seconds, you got the game on the line. What an utter fail, right? Utter fail. My question is, who of those athletes and coaches is going to understand that failure and take it to the next level to learn and become a better coach and a better player next year? Who are going to be the powders and the gripers and who are going to be the ones that succeed even more 
because of that failure. Successful people understand the role of failure. Now, our world does not promote and elevate failure, does it? And so what do we do in response to our world and what it's promoting? We hide our failure. We, we get the curtain out and we try to do this with our failure. Okay? Don't look. Don't look. Okay? I'm great. We dress for success. We act like we're successful. But the reality is the curtain falls over and over and over again in our lives. And God allows the curtain to fall. For what reason? To help you deal with what's going on, who you are, and to create from the inside out a successful person. And so let's, let's wrap this up. This is kind of the overarching verse for this whole series, okay? If you're wondering what this series is all about, it's about the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. The wind blows, and this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, what does this say about you? Many times you're not going to know where you're going. It's a fact. You're not going to know where you're going. Where's this going? I don't know. We're going to focus on the Holy Spirit this year. Where's this going to take us? I don't know. Where's it going to take you? I don't know. But I do know God, and he's good. And it may be rough along the way, but he's going to end up in a very, very, very good spot. How do I know? How do I know if the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? How do I know? How do I distinguish his voice? I don't know if it's his voice or somebody else's voice. You ever had somebody call you on the phone? And not talking about voice recognition. I'm just talking about old days where you didn't know who was calling and they would say hello and you immediately knew who it was. How did you know who they are? How did you recognize their voice? There was a relationship. You'd heard that voice many times. There was a relationship. And what I'm inviting you to and I'm encouraging all of you to do is to develop and cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit so you can distinguish his voice and not walk around confused all the time. I can't do it for you. I can't pray for you. I can't cultivate that relationship for you. I've got my own relationship to cultivate. You need to pray more. You need to spend more time in the Word of God so you can distinguish His voice and so He can lead you. And then you're going to know His voice. And when He speaks to you, you're going to go, oh man, I'm, I know where I'm going. He's saying I'm going right. The world's telling me to go left, but I'm going right. And I take trust in that. This really messes with people, this verse. But for others, it's an adventure. It's an experience because they know where it's going to lead them, and it's awesome. This verse really messed with Nicodemus. He didn't like it. But eventually he accepted it and became a follower of Jesus. All right, so let's wrap it up. Yesterday, yesterday, got to talk about this. And then we're going to end. One of the most inspirational weddings that I've ever been a part of. You know why? They were supposed to be married in July. 
They postponed the wedding. You know the story behind this? Postponed the wedding. Called the relationship time out. You know why? They didn't have to. They were advised to. They were advised to because there were priorities that were mismatched and, and things were, they were doing things that they, they knew were wrong and they said, this is not an edifying relationship. And so they decided to change the date and even take a time out from the relationship. And I, I think it was so incredible yesterday because what they did was incredible because in front of their friends and family, they postponed the wedding. It was so embarrassing in July and August. It was so like, oh, no. But to yesterday, it was one of the most awesome, glorifying to God experiences that I've ever seen because they said, you know what? We're willing to go through all of this because our relationship with God is more important than what we want. Point A and point B, they need to be rearranged. And I think Tommy and, and Joanna are heroes for the way that they postpone. But let me just be honest with some of you. And it probably has more to do with the evening service than it has to do with the, 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 this morning service. Some of our singles today are deciding to take the fast tracks to this. And let me tell you, it's going to bring hardship and pain to not just them, but other people around them. Because this brought great joy. And it took a village to hold this relationship together. And I thank and I commend all of those that helped them get to where they were yesterday. But what, what a tremendous victory. We elevate failure when it's managed and directed in the right way. And it gives glory to God. I want all couples to end up here. And all of us are going to fail. Church needs to be the place where we can fail. Amen. But we fail forward, not backwards. If you've got a bad marriage, fail forward. If you've got a family situation that's challenging, fail forward. Embrace failure. Embrace If you've got a job situation that's just a thorn, whatever it is, your health, whatever it is, Fail forward. Let God help and direct you. And I want to encourage you to stop running. Some of you are running from failure. You're hiding it. You're avoiding it. You're just prolonging it. You're making it worse for yourself and for people that love you. Don't run. Embrace it. Confess it. Get with people who you're close to and say, listen, I need help. Will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? And let me just say this about our church. Our church is a church full of failures. Let's just accept it. Your minister is a failure. Okay? We're all failures. But we're letting God rebuild us into heroes. And some of you are heroes. So stop running from that. And this is the verse I want to leave you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Those who God foreknew, he also predestined. So I'm going to claim it in the name of Jesus today for you. You are predestined to succeed. You are predestined to be the hero. You are predestined. And I can claim it because of God's promise and God's sovereignty and I want you to accept it so let's pray together and then you'll be dismissed we went a little late
but I think it was worth the time. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you for this promise that you've got a plan for us. Father, we claim this promise that you are going to lead us to good and you're predestined us to become more like Jesus. That means better than what we are now. God, we claim that promise right now. And we believe that you're not done with us yet. And no matter where we are, no matter where our relationships are, we can be the person that we were destined to be because of you. Father, we, uh, we lower our hands, we lower our arms, recognizing we don't want to fight you anymore. We don't want to resist you, even though it hurts to fail. Father, will you carry us? Will you lift us up? Father, help us to grow through our challenges. Help us to learn so we can be more reliant upon you. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, take over our lives. Show us, speak to us this week. Take us where we need to go so we can be your people that can inspire an island, that can inspire a school, a workplace. Father, we need you. We want to be used by you as a church. Thank you for the failures that you've allowed to happen in our lives. Help us to let those take us to the next level. We love you. Thank you. We lift up Jesus, and we pray these things in proclaiming this promise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great afternoon. I want to ask you if... If you are here in the front part of the foyer, I want to ask you if you could take it.